Hey, it's Greg Hoffman from Take Command. And the best part about podcasts is they create a 25th hour in the day. Whenever I'm commuting, metro, car, even when I'm riding my bike around town, although in that case, one earphone only, safety kids, I'm always listening to podcasts. And this offseason, you can get all the insights, all the news, all the analysis, and Logan and I occasionally make a joke or two in the Take Command podcast on demand so it fits in to your busy schedule. Follow Take Command in the Odyssey app or wherever you get your pods. This is Matt Spiegel, and I can't wait to bring you Season 2 of the PBP, Voices of Baseball. The very best play-by-play voices in the game talk about their craft. It's a job so special that even Joe Buck told us he will probably go back to it. I'm 53, basically 54. I I think it's too early to say nevers at this point in my life. I think at some point I'll get the itch again. Incredible guests sharing great stories from your favorite teams coming this year. Find us on the Odyssey app or wherever you find podcasts. Podcasts. Take a man podcast from Odyssey Sports. That's Logan Paulson. I am Craig Hoffman. Uh, you can catch me on the Hoffman Show, three to six each and every weekday on the team, 980. Then Logan and I come together for a countdown to kickoff on 1067 The Fan and the team, 980. Three hours prior to kickoff most weekends, although I think we're two to four, what is it, 425 kick. So we start at two uh, on, on Saturday, on Christmas Eve. For this particular game. All right. So the San Francisco offense was pretty good to start the year. Um, and then and then uh, they got Christian McCaffrey. Uh, mm-hmm. The first game they played with McCaffrey, they lost to Kansas City 44-23. He was barely there. Um, he only had eight rushing attempts in the game. Had a couple of uh, two receiving targets. He had been there for like two days. Then they played the Rams, Chargers, uh, Cardinals, Saints, Dolphins, Bucks and Seahawks, and they won every single one of those games. McCaffrey has been an absolute monster. Last two games, he's been over 100 yards rushing. He's had, you know, against Miami, an 80-yard receiving game, another 67-yard receiving game against Arizona. Like, And I was listening to Kime's podcast uh, a little bit earlier today, and he had Nick Wagner, uh, his buddy, who's a great reporter who covers uh, the 49ers for ESPN, and he said that the 49ers offense has been averaging eight more points per game since McCaffrey got there. What has Christian McCaffrey brought to this Niners offense that was already so dangerous and, and has just vaulted it to another level, even with Mr. Irrelevant Brock Purdy playing quarterback these last couple of weeks? Yeah, I, yeah. so I think the thing that he just it's, – it's another weapon for Kyle to utilize, and it's one of the most elite weapons at the position. You're going to be hard-pressed to find a more dynamic receiving running back. So that – that gives you opportunity as a runner for him to be elite. But I think where he really separates himself is as a passer, what he can do on third down, what he can do from a mismatch standpoint. I mentioned the the, the deep go ball that he catches against Miami. He catches a fade um, in another game. I forget which one it was, but you know, just the ability to have a guy with that receiving acumen, that level of quickness, that level of understanding of coverage that is listed as a running back that the defense matches as a running back. Like I was having a conversation with someone in the building the other day, and it's like everyone thinks you got to match him like a running back. You got to match Michael like a wide receiver, which was a crazy thing to think about. But that's exactly what you're getting out of Christian McCaffrey and what he brings in the skill set and the way Kyle utilizes him. He might line up in the backfield, but you have to account for him like that elite kind of receiver. So, um, yeah, I think that's what he does. He just he, he lets you steal possessions, lets you gain possessions. He finds explosive plays. A lot of a lot of the times through scheme, but also through understanding like you need a guy who can run a good choice route. Christian McCaffrey's elite at that. And Kyle Shanahan's offense, a lot of what they do on third down, not a lot. I'd say probably 
30 to 40 percent so a fair chunk relies on people winning in one-on-one situations and you've got a guy who can do that consistently right and um that's the same thing with kyle yuschek and um you know brandon Ayuk, george kittle and you just add another piece in there and so think about that when debo samuel's healthy that's got to be one of the best skill position players in the nfl oh it's it's Absolutely filthy. Um, the the collection. I mean, the collection they have right now without Debo. Nevertheless, what happens when they get Debo back? Um, it, it's really remarkable what they've done. And, and again, like you know, to circle back to the point we we touched on a little bit in the opening segment, like the fact that Kyle isn't just like, eh, give me whoever. Like yeah. the fact that Kyle is like, give me the best, and then mm-hmm. I'm gonna make us unstoppable. Like that is a credit to Kyle because of the, um, because of like the. I don't want to say humility, but like the, the understanding, right? It's, it's, it's a lack of arrogance, even if you don't want to go all the way to humility. Um, but I guess it is kind of one and the same there to say we are better when we have these guys and we're not just going to rely on the fact that we can scheme people open because yeah, can you scheme people open a couple times a game if you're a really good OC? Yeah, I saw it. I mean, when I was covering Jay's offense uh, and some of those really lean years at receiver, they could get a high cross open three times a game like mm-hmm. clockwork. Yeah. But they didn't have a guy when Jamison Crowder and Jordan Reed weren't healthy that could slip a tackle and pick up 20 yards on your on your basic play. And when you have a Christian McCaffrey who can score from anywhere and a Debo Samuel and a Brandon Ayuk who is a threat to score on every play and Kittle and all these dudes, mm-hmm. it's, it you don't have to be great because there's just going to be plays that are designed to kind of move the chains and, and get you some yardage. And then there's going to be your shots. And if you can accidentally, quote-unquote, score on your down-in, down-out football, um, that elevates your offense to a completely new, new level, and that kind of feels like where San Francisco is, and it allows them to, if they don't have big plays on accident, if you will, at the very least, move the ball to the areas of the field where they can then dial up those shots and become really effective. And you get your, you know, George Kittle gets lost and is somehow wide open in the middle of the field, uh, even though he's the best tight end in football, and every eye should be on him. You get those plays in the right areas of the field, and that's how they consistently score. Yeah, and I think your your hypothesis, your thesis there about good football players or Kyle's thesis, I think is hashed out everywhere on every team this year look at the philadelphia eagles with the addition of aj brown look at the miami dolphins with the addition of tyree kill when you get dynamic playmakers it makes your offense more dynamic i mean even look here in washington look at how much different this offense looks when jahan's playing well right and i think that that's something that um you know a lot of people want to say oh it's the coach but it it's you know everyone says it's the uh it's the jimmies and joes not the x's and o's and that's true if you've got studs and you've got good ball players Look at the L.A. Rams right now. Look what happens when their Cooper Cup gets hurt. Their offensive line kind of deteriorates. They just don't have the Joes. Kyle or Sean could be the, the smartest guy in the whole world, and he's very, very smart. But you can't scheme. You can't out-scheme a, a, a super deficient roster. And I think I think Kyle's aware of that. I think Mike McDaniel's aware of that. Shoot, I even think uh, Kevin O'Connell's aware of that, right? They have an outstanding yeah. receiving Hey, let's there. throw to Justin Jefferson seven billion times in a season. Right. And um, so, yeah, I think uh, I think that's that's uh, that's very astute. And I think it's the direction that everyone in the league is trying to trend, not just the really smart guys. Yeah. Well, and the thing is, what makes like Scott Turner also understands this. The, yeah. the difference between Scott Turner and Kyle Shanahan in this regard is the discipline. Like mm-hmm. Kyle is 
going and and you know Kevin is like this like every single game basically Justin Jefferson I think there was one where he had like three or four targets but almost every single game Justin Jefferson has 10 11 targets uh, Christian McCaffrey is going to get his touch he's going to get 20 touches in a game like that the, there's no game plan that exists unless and this is something that's worth talking about they you know pull back because they've already clinched the division mm-hmm. um, but if they're trying to win a game all out Christian McCaffrey is getting 25 probably touches. Like in the playoffs, McCaffrey is going to get 25 to 30 touches. Mm-hmm. And it seems like and that's Scott not, gets that's a not running. Bit. That's not running the ball. That's right. more but as a t- t- think, touches, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. You know, let's say 18 carries and seven targets, right? He'll get 25 opportunities. Maybe is even a better word. Yeah. Um, and it feels like Scott has gotten lost a couple times this year um, in some of that. And also, I think the thing that, that is a differentiator is like a guy like Kyle will run his stuff. He's not going to try to get too cute. Um, something though that he did as a younger uh, play caller, I think at times had, had too much on players plates, tried to do a little bit too much. Um, and that's something that we've talked about with Scott is he's still evolving and is relatively speaking a young play caller. Um, but specific to the San Francisco team, like what are you nervous about knowing how Kyle thinks if you're Ron and Jack, of where they're going to attack this week and and what are some of the ways in which you're trying to load up to stop it. Um, And by the way, um, we just have this breaking news as we're recording. You'll love this breaking news so your podcast isn't instantly dated, but Chase Young is going to play this week. Um, So Mm. Ron Rivera announced Chase Young is in against the 49ers. Um, So you you can wrap that into your answer if it's somewhat relevant. Right. So I think one of the things when I watch the offense with Brock Purdy at the helm, I think people see these big point totals and they think, oh, he must be slinging out over the yard. They do a good job of insulating him. They run the football, play action, um, you know, keeper game stuff. Very similar. And, you know, when you squint and look at it kind of to, to the New York Giants, they, they they're trying to make it easier for Brock Purdy to be successful. And that's where like the game plan specific targets come in where they've cultivated this look and they say, Brock, the ball needs to go here. It will go here. We'll get it called versus the right coverage. We'll give you a check if it's not up. And that's how they've been executing. And so I think people think of San Francisco as one of the most dynamic offenses in the NFL. At least that's what I thought coming in. And it is with Brock pretty at the helm. They've shifted a little bit. The focus has shifted. They're trying to protect the, the the young signal caller, Mr. I know everyone's heard that storyline. They're trying to keep him insulated as much as they can. So as a result, there's not this kind of super dynamic vertical element like you would get against Kansas City. Are they awesome? Yes. Are they much different team without Debo Samuel in the game? Yes. And so the focus, I think, shifts to Christian McCaffrey and George Kittle. And historically, this team has done really well matching up with both of those positions running backs and tight ends. And when you think about uh, Christian McCaffrey in Carolina last year, Cam Curl did an excellent job matching up with him. The problem, I think, with this defense and this offensive structure right now is that you, if Benjamin St. Juice back, comes back, that's a big deal because I think he basically erases Brandon Ayuk. I think Brandon Ayuk is a good football player. I don't think he's a game-changing football player in the sense he's that... He's a hell of a third or fourth option. You know, Yeah, probably even like... Samuel... Samuel and McCaffrey and Kittle are all available. Like he's he's their fourth best offensive yeah. weapon, which is gross. But like if he's number one wide receiver, not your traditional number one. Correct. Like you, with him and Debo, scary. With him as the number one, and then Jennings is their number two. It's kind of like okay, you, you know, it, it feels very 
I don't want to say New York because that's a bad group, but it's kind of that it's just, it doesn't, the teeth are a little bit less sharp. Mm-hmm. So the, the thing that I think becomes interesting is that how do you match up? You can't have Cam Curl on McCaffrey and on well, George and, and real quick, Cam Curl didn't, we're taping this on Thursday. Cam didn't Curl practice. didn't practice today. Um, so that's a huge deal. He's had an ankle thing. Huge so deal. there's a chance there's no Cam Curl, period, which would be disastrous. No, I wouldn't say disastrous, but it'd be, it'd be bad. Real, be, real bad. Disastrous is a good word because who okay, matches up? Okay, it'll be up, disastrous. Because who matches up with people, right? And Cam's shown yeah. an ability to do that. And, you know, if I was kind of going through the checklist, I'd say Cam Curl matches up with Christian McCaffrey because he's your number one. Maybe Defoe has elements of that. Jamin, I think Jamin physically can do it, but obviously there's been times where he has kind of mental lapses in coverage. And then all of a sudden take Cam Curl out of that and say Defoe's matched up with Christian McCaffrey and Jamin Davis is matched up with George Kittle. I think both of those matchups favor San Francisco. So to me, that's a huge right. storyline. Can you defensively, stop because i think this is really what they want to be they want to run the football to set up play action pass set up the keeper game and then they want to work in these kind of specific play calls to get the ball to christian to get the ball to kittle right and maybe one or two to IU, but it's really the first two guys that i mentioned so can you stop the run against this team is a huge element because so much of what they do is built off of that and then if you can stop the run i don't think brock purdy can beat you on a down-to-down basis he can beat you on these game plan specific calls but if you're saying Brock Purdy get back there and let's read this defense and let's go execute he has in the three games he's played has not showed an ability to do that and in fact he does put the ball in harm's way more than I was expecting little little Taylor Heineke-esque on the turnover worthy plays dude 100% and so I look at this and I say initially I thought this game was going to be totally out of reach and now this is going to be a tough game but I think this defense has shown an ability to stop the run I assume they'll be motivated. And if they can stop the run and force Brock Purdy to say, to beat you on a down-to-down basis, as opposed to kind of giving him these easy layup game plan throws that are glorified screens and glorified handoffs where he's not reading anything and just getting the ball to the best player on the field. This looks a little bit different. And I think this is the best defense that the 49ers have played in the last probably four or five. So again, those are things that... I think are relevant and I think might change the complexion of this game. And I think we haven't talked about the offense yet, but I think there's a a, a path that the offense has success against the number one defense in the NFL. All right, well, let's, let's get into that. (laughs) Okay. So, um, so when you watch the San Francisco 49ers defense, it is dynamic as heck. They are ripping to the football. All three of their linebackers are like converted safety type body types. Those kind of like overhang, uh, field players that you get in college football. They're fast. They're physical. They attack the football. The defensive line is constructed much much the same way. Nick Bosa is obviously a savage when it comes to rushing the passer. Eric Armstead's healthy. Uh, Kinlaw just got activated. I don't think he'll play. Um, uh, they have a backup defensive end, number 94, who I played with in Houston, who's very, very talented as a pass rusher. They're all all their guys. I've, I've passed juice inside. They've got some dynamic play from that young safety from uh, Utah, who's been pretty good for them. So <clears throat> all those guys, very dynamic, very fast, run to the football like a bunch of lunatics. And talk about the Jimmys and Joes ex- elevating the X's and O's. I think that's a really good example. I think D'Amico Ryans does a good job of putting those guys in good positions to be successful. But it's really they've, – they've got some playmakers over there that, that run and hit and are fast and love football and are smart football players. 
However, that being said, giving them their flowers, when teams, specifically Kansas City and Atlanta, when they run right at you, downhill, attack you as a running, they don't do as well with that. They are not like super physical. They don't have a Jordan Davis. They don't have a guy who's just kind of in there. They don't have a John Ridgeway. <clears throat> they don't have a guy that's going to kind of say, my job is to eat up space and destroy the run game. They don't have that. So yeah. you have seen a couple teams, Kansas City was surprising to me, just run right at the teeth of that defense, and they just did not have a good answer for it. And so I look at what Washington does really, really well, and what is it? It's run right at you. It's like pretty much like, you know, those slap contests that you see on, on you, have you seen, are you familiar with those, Craig? Like yeah, when, people hold the when they decide to activate ESPN, the Ocho, like three yes. times a year. <laughs> yes. We're, yeah. The, people are just slapping each other in the face. Like that's the game that Washington, that Washington <laughs> wants. Yeah. And that's the game I think the 49ers, at least from the games I've watched, have struggled with the most. Like if you want to be cute and get lateral and try to get into space, they are going to hunt you down like a pack of wolves. But if you, if you run at them, they struggle a little bit. Now I have one reservation about this game plan in, in, is that San Francisco knows that they yeah. know what our punch is. So what are they going to do? And then what's Scott's phase two going to be? Cause Kansas city, they attacked him, like I said, but then they ran a couple jet sweeps sweeps off of that downhill action that went for big plays. They ran a couple play action shots in addition to all the stuff that Kansas city does really well. So it's phase one is, is there like, that's yeah, what you should be doing. Easy. Phase two is the stuff where you got to be playing chess with D'Amico Ryan's. So I anticipate them running the ball a borderline absurd amount this weekend because I do not think Ron Rivera will take anything else. Like mm. it was, it was almost painful listening to Ron at the podium this week because it was pretty clear based off of what he's saying into the microphone that he wasn't happy with the offensive game plan last week. And I'm just like, you're the head coach, man. Like at some point, can you not get on the headset? I mean, it seems like it happened to a point at halftime where yeah. it was like, Scott, come here. Remember who we are? Cool. Go do that. Go get him, partner. Like, and, and it just, I don't understand how they got to, you know, 820 last Sunday night against New York with that game plan without Ron going like, hey, actually, let's not. Like, mm. actually, can we do the thing that has gotten us back in playoff contention that helped us win six of seven games that helped us win, you know, six of eight with the tie. Like can, and if, if we could do just a little bit more, probably would have won the giants game. Like, can we do all of those things? And they go out and they lose 20 to 12 because they, they blow the game in the first quarter kind of. Um, and so I would imagine there is a directive from the largest <laughs> office uh, on the football side of the building to the offensive coordinator this week that says, be who we are, please, for the love of all things holy, whatever deity it is that you believe in, run the football. Yeah. Um, and, and then it gets to that phase two. And then it gets to like, okay, that is what the basis of our offense is going to be. Hopefully, then phase two kind of falls into place. Yeah. And you get back to some of the things that have been really effective for them. Uh, some of those jet sweeps off of duo action, if they're going to run them, as opposed to trying to pull guys all over the place and do yeah. things that they're not good at and they haven't repped. Uh, hopefully, the the play action off of duo can get the chunk yardage to Terry McLaurin and to Curtis Samuel and Jahan Dotson. Um, maybe... If we're lucky, the tight ends will even get involved this week, but let's not hold our breath. Maybe that's phase three. 
But if you can get phase one and phase two, the other thing that does is eat clock. And it, and it puts a little bit more pressure on Purdy in that offense and a little more urgency because you're not just getting the ball back quickly, going out there, taking your time, scoring. Like each possession becomes a little bit more precious and maybe that forces Purdy into a mistake. Or it, or it magnifies, right? Like if Purdy happens to throw you one, it makes it that much more important because there's a, a premium on each play, on each possession, because there's less of them to be had. So I think in all accounts, like that makes a lot of sense. Um, it also seems like the only viable option because if you try to get crazy against this team, like you're not as talented as they are, they're going to beat the tar out of you. Uh, and you also don't want to expose Heineke. Um, which also, by the way, is something we should quickly talk about. Then I want to spend the last segment of the show quickly, um, a little bit more on Chase, and then uh, I want to talk about the Pro Bowl guys as well, um, the years okay. that they've had. Um, but to kind of wrap up this centralized preview portion, like, how short do we actually think the leash is? And, like, if they're, they've only scored three points at halftime, are we talking about what this game plan looks like with Carson Wentz as opposed to Taylor Heineke? Because I very much, like, personally, listening to Ron, I think that's where we're at. And I actually think that if Taylor hadn't scored on the opening drive of the second half last week, we would have seen Carson last week. Mm, interesting. Yeah, I don't think uh, I would be reluctant to put Carson in this week at all, just because I think this defense eats quarterbacks like Carson. So I think yeah. you, I'm I not think, saying it's the right move. I'm saying right. that's, you know, that's what the head coach seems to think. I definitely think that that is on the radar and that is going to happen soon. And so, like, if Taylor comes out and struggles versus the 49ers, I guarantee you see him versus Cleveland because Cleveland's defense is not as good. And you kind of want, in some way, to validate the decision of bringing him in, and that would be the best way to do it, in my opinion, is to kind of say, Taylor, sorry, like, this defense is really good. Good luck. Have fun out there. You know, <laughs> Run around. Now, we need some of your magic. Yeah, and then now against Cleveland, let's get you out here. Uh, and real quick, so real quick before we kind of d- d- dig into that a little bit more, the other thing I wanted to kind of – pinned down there is you know you said they're going to run the football i really hope there's not an overcorrection. I, th- I want them to correct back to where they were but i right. also think you see some stuff in the second half of that game you say that makes this offense so much more dangerous this kind of willingness to do the the boots the play action some of that stuff and just come to it more quickly in your play calling uh sphere is really advantageous because it also opens up the run game so i don't want i don't want it to be 45 runs right? I want it to be 25, you know, whatever that, whatever that tipping point is where they can be most effective. But I'm worried that it's going to be like, we got to run the ball. Let's go crazy. Let's go back to what we, you know, and I I just don't think that's the right solution. But yeah, to your point, um, I think Wentz will play for sure against Cleveland if Heineke struggles this week. Yeah. Um, And it's to the point where it's like, I don't, I, what I've said all week on the show is like, it's 55, 45. I feel like Taylor is still the better option for this team for a lot of reasons that we've discussed on many, many of these podcasts over the course of the last eight weeks. However, you're not nuts if you think that this, like, one, from a curiosity standpoint, I want to know what it looks like with Wentz. Like, this new game plan with Brian Robinson, with Jahan healthy, with Curtis healthy, with Terry healthy. Like, I want to know what it looks like with Carson just from sheer curiosity. Mm -hmm. You also can't say, oh, it definitely would be worse. Um, and also something, I don't know, we might just go long today and, uh, and I want, I'm going to, I'm going to throw this out there now. This is, this is a fun off season discussion, but like, I want to have a mini version of it real quick. Would it be crazy to play both? Like to me, the fact that, that playing both sounds like a, a novel, like bonkers person idea. 
is actually a poor reflection of the NFL, how risk averse it is and how uninnovative it is in so many ways. And that you are just better off doing the same thing that everyone else does. Cause then at least if you're wrong, you're wrong with everybody else and mm. you won't get fired. But there are areas where it seems like Carson would be more effective because they have like polar op. It's like you took one really good quarterback and cut mm. them in half. And the Venn diagram of their skill sets has no crossover. It's <laughs> wild when you start to think about it. So like, some areas Carson would be better. Some areas Taylor would be better. And even if it's just like, yeah, all right, red zone, Carson, go get him. Like, there's, it seems to me like some mix of the both would actually be their best solution, um, except for that's not how quarterback works. And maybe there are other factors that those of us that have never played and, and don't understand the rhythm it takes and, and kind of the cadence and, and all these different things that, that that's actually a terrible idea. And there's a reason that nobody plays, plays two quarterbacks. Yeah, well, I think Houston's been doing that. Right. Um, they've been doing that with so, with some very good success, actually. But I do think that in that instance, uh, Driscoll, who's the the second kind of guy playing yeah. less next to Mills, is more of a true runner than like Heineke is, for example. Right. So the it's almost like bringing in Taysom Hill. Like if you had Taysom Hill on the right. roster, that makes a little bit more sense because he's bringing. Right. An elite... We're talking about playing two real quarterbacks, not yes. one quarterback and a gadget player. Right. And. And again, like Driscoll's playing quarterback for them, but his 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 package is very like zone read centric, and he'll throw ten passes, seven passes a game, but it's a very different type of pass. So I think there is merit to that, and I think teams feel comfortable doing that because of the value add you get from a running quarterback. Here, I think you're asking a position that's really defined by rhythm and flow to to kind of chop itself up. And I don't, that's why teams are always uh, reluctant to do that because um, I remember a couple of years ago, they did this with Matt Leinart and Kurt Warner, like Matt Leinart played the 20 to 20 mark. And then Kurt Warner played the red zone and everyone's just out of sync, out of rhythm, out of speed with the game. And, you know, as being a rotational player, even playing tight end, there's a huge element of just finding your flow and finding what the opponent is doing, finding the cadence and kind of speed of the game and it's really hard to come in on a moment's notice to play even a position like the blocking tight end is right. really challenging to do. So I can only imagine that it's really, really, really challenging for the quarterback spot. And then you're really not getting uh, you're not doing any favors to either one of the players and you're not getting the best look in terms of evaluation of both of the players. So I'm not saying that they won't do it. I'm not saying it's a bad idea. I just don't think it favors the, the guy. It doesn't favor the evaluation right. in, a, in, a, in an advantageous way. We should do off season a wacky ideas like that podcast we just take yeah. some like super innovative yeah maybe even potentially stupid ideas yeah. and uh and dice them out but I, it is something that i've thought about this week and the fact that it it is such a hard immediate no um i think is actually a bad reflection on the nfl even if there are legitimate reasons why the answer should be no and there's there's a reason why the conventional wisdom is there in